The commissioner of the Hockey East Association, Joe Batani, joins us. And uh, well, first of all, Joe, uh, a Nesson game here tonight. Merrimack taking on UMass, and uh, Nesson contracts obviously uh, are very important to the league. Uh, but I'm interested to know uh, well, what are the tangible benefits, I guess, that you see that the schools and the league as well get out of the, the TV deal. Oh, uh, it's it's probably too numerous to just uh, off the top of my head. I mean, number one is. Uh, just awareness of who we are and what we're doing and to show the quality of the play and that translates into people buying tickets to games, kids wanting to play there. Those are the two biggest things, you know, keeping a crowd that, that wants to know who we are and wants to come out and see us and then keeping a pipeline of, of uh, players that that uh, that want to continue to want to come there. And there's something about television that says that you're, 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 you've made it, that you're on TV. And uh, down the stretch, we have a lot of television. We had two Nesson games this weekend, an ESPNU game, um, and Nesson continues right through the, the championship, and I think we have another ESPNU game, uh, at least one more. So uh, the ESPNU thing has been great to us this year because I think they did 14 or 15 games, and 10 of them were ours. So uh, we were the uh, the chief uh, client of this. The Olympics on right now as well. Uh, a lot of folks paying attention to that, and a lot, a lot of hockey players taking part in the Olympics. Got to be something else, I think. Good publicity for the league. Well, we learned, I think, with the Bruins. When the Bruins had a little spike in their popularity, it, was, it carried everybody in New England. And uh, conversely, when they're down, I think we're all down. So, I mean, hockey, is, as big as it is, is not so big that we're not. Uh, it's so obvious we're inter interdependent. Right. And whether it's the Olympics and people talking about good hockey and not. Uh, network people putting fights on um, you know even when we played outdoors at Fenway the novelty of that game one of the plays in the top 10 was a women's uh, play from the UNH Northeastern game uh, you know the bean pot's not a Hockey East event but it has Hockey East teams and we had the number one play uh, uh, in the second night so television pervades the consciousness in so many different ways uh, also helps us with getting footage uh, that we can use not only promotionally but footage we can use in uh, mentoring our referees. You know, everybody has has coaches tapes, but when you get games on television, uh, you can use those a lot better in, in, in showing referees what we're trying to get them to do, or in some cases showing coaches that they got it right when they didn't think they did. Um, and, and then back to your point on the Olympics, it's the type of play we want to see our game played by too. We want people to see that it's a, it can be a beautiful game. Uh, obviously this year the Olympics have an NHL size rink, so it's a little bit closer to home as opposed to in the past when all the games have been on the international sheet, which only relates to a few of the rinks in our league. How have, uh, how's replay been received this year? How do you think it's gone? Are there any tweaks you'd like to make to it? Um, it's gone it's gone okay, and I only say that because it, it's taken some uh, facilities a little time to get up to speed technologically. We, uh, we allowed the schools, we, we set a standard, and we allowed the schools to meet the standard through whatever company that could meet the standard. So we ended up with four schools using one company, four schools using another company, and then two schools doing their own in-house. Um, and I think it's, there's been a few bugs in the system where some of them haven't ended up providing the same quality. Some have had trouble with the audio. Some, according to the referees, have kind of a fuzzy screen, which might be the monitor. So um, I think we've got to revisit it. You know, there was a lot of money that went out from the schools the first time just to get everything installed. So in year two, most of the money really is just uh, to keep your tech support. But now that they don't have the same expenses on the books for next year, I think we're going to kind of ask all of them to make sure if they have to spend a little bit of money to just make the quality a little bit better. Uh, the other, the other problem I think I heard last night in a game, actually it might have been the uh, UMass Merrimack game, 
there's sometimes there's confusion where the coaches think they can demand that the ref looks, like in football, you throw the yellow sock. Right. Well, they don't have that right to demand it, but we've tried to coach our referees that if there's any question, look, there's no downside to looking. And we've had a couple of cases where the refs got confused where they were so sure they, they knew they were right, and, and yes, technically the coach can't make you go, but why not go look? What, what's the, what would be the downside of going to look other than taking a little bit more time? So we've, tried to, we've had some referees that have kind of stumbled a little bit and, and, and uh, didn't go out to look. I, I think the play, they made the right call, but just for the sake of quelling a disturbance, they might have been better off just taking a look, even though it was going to show them, they knew it was going to show them what eventually it did. Right. And we've had a couple of those. So, But overall, I think everybody's happy that we, we have that safety net of, of replay. It's interesting you make the comparison to football because then you start to think, well, if the coaches, even, even if, 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 the, if the, the idea is that the, if the coach seems to think that there should be something looked at, then maybe the referee should go and do it. Effectively, the coach is requesting the replay, and then you start to get into a situation where, well, how many times do you want to allow that to happen? And then you say, well, do you start to do to look at more like a football situation where you say, well, maybe you have X number of requests a game that you can make. Yeah, well, the NCAA, is, is, it's a rules year. If they want to change it, they could change that. Yeah. But, you know, I think what happens is it's just miscommunication. So the other coach sees the ref go, hey, he can't make you do that. And, and the ref just says, I know he can't. But he's raised a question, we're going to look. Yeah. It's not because he said it, but why not? You know, so there's been some of that on two or three occasions this year. Uh, we also had a situation where I think it, uh, one school had a, a laptop on the bench, and the refs felt that uh, um, they'd look at that, uh, look at a replay, and then really raise the level of heat directed towards the ref. But we have nothing in writing that says they can't have it on the bench, but I think what we're seeing here is sometimes the technology yeah. gets ahead of the protocol. So with each change in, in, in technology, you've got to rewrite protocol of what's acceptable and what's appropriate. And I think it, the, the benefits far outweigh the liabilities because I think there's so many ways you can teach both players and referees and coaches sometimes. I think it's a good thing. It's, it's a good point because you were talking about the technology and, and we've heard it's uh, especially in recent years that, that the technology today is so far beyond what it used to be and, and, and you know, teams go in, they play teams and they've seen so much video and they know so much of the tendencies already. They can break down the video in ways that they didn't used to be able to. Uh, I remember a number of years ago, I think it was Bruce Crowder suggested that maybe there should be limitations placed on, on the video. What do you think about that? Well, the, the, uh, the policy they have about sharing coaching videos is, is not anything that's league sanctioned. That's a kind of a gentleman's agreement. The coaches have a policy of the most recent game and they, they, they know what has to be sent around but uh, give me another example it used to be they'd have to actually FedEx or, or mail to us physically a, a tape or something that we had to look at now they can send it electronically because they, they can e edit it down so it's not that big a file the good thing is now our supervisor officials can sit down with a referee or, or then if you go find the ref he can just call him at home and say did you get it call it up alright let me know when you got it now and they can walk through it from the coaching point of view it, it does lend itself to this great defensive play we see because they can take away anything. It doesn't help you create offense anymore, I don't think, but I think t it helps you take away from the other team and it potentially you get some boring games. But back to the referee side, we've got so many clips this time of year that get sent in. We could spend every morning, you know, from Monday and Tuesday anyway, just looking at clips. At some point, you know, we're not the NHL. We don't have a lot of staff. You know, the supervisor official is a part-time guy who's like he is in every, I think only one league has a full-time guy. And uh, there's a limit to how much they can see. And I think sometimes it's an unrealistic expectation. The coach calls you back. They look at the tape. Yeah, I looked at it. Yeah, he missed a couple, but game's over. You know, what do you want us to do? And unless there's a pattern with the same referee making the same mistakes, you know, we can keep the guy out of the uh, future assignments and out of the playoffs or whatever. But I think sometimes they, 
they rely too much on the tape and it can be misleading. Just because they see something in their office on a Monday morning where they've seen it 20 times may not replicate what the referee saw live once. Uh, it, it was a stick going in front of his head and trying to get out of the way of the play. Yeah, and it's a different angle. It's a different angle. So, and again, i got to be careful. You take that argument too long, it sounds like you're making excuses for the refs. But I think you can find plays in every game that they, they might miss. And the big thing right now, there's a lot of conversation about diving. And I'll tell you, some of the, when you look at the tape, some of the guys are pretty good at it. And uh, you know, there's a question about, well, couldn't you distribute a list around all the coaches of the guys that have been called for diving or embellishment? We can, but there are probably guys who, who are the biggest practitioners who don't show up in that list because they've never gotten caught. And yeah. so all you can do is, is remind the refs how important it is to get in proper position, increase the chances you can see a play, and you try to appeal to the coaches that, you know, somebody told me I was naive asking the coaches to tell their players to knock it off. They say some of the coaches, if they don't teach it, they condone it. I don't know how much of that is true or not, but when you talk to coaches in February, there a lot of them are on the edge, you know, and uh, with the standings the way they are here, you can understand why. Yeah, it's funny because I remember, I, I think I'd heard that about the, the, the diving was a point of emphasis recently, and uh, we haven't seen it very much in, in the games that we've seen. How, how much of a problem has it really been? I, you know, it's hard for me to tell because I haven't seen it that much, but, and, and, and I have to honestly say there might be three coaches out of ten who have been sending diving clips in, and if you look, a lot of them are playing each other in a in a concentrated part of the schedule, so there might be a little gamesmanship. Are they all the teams at the top of the standings? Uh, many of them are close to the top, but not all, not all. We're talking with Joe Bertani, the, the Commissioner of Hockey East, and uh, coming down the stretch drive here, you were just talking off the air here about the, the tight race in the women's league. It's a very tight race in the men's league as well. You've got just a couple of points separating. You know, you look at a team like Merrimack, as, as we've said on the air, you know, they, they could miss the playoffs. On the other hand, they're just within a couple of points of, of fourth place, but possible home ice. Uh, it's almost getting to be like the NFL in terms of parity. Yeah, and uh, one of the effects, negative effects from, from, from me is... Uh, uh, you know, our ticket sales are a little behind for the tournament uh, where they normally are. And I think part of it is people are waiting to see how good their favorite team is, you know. And other than UNH, yeah, and, and other than UNH, and last night was a perfect example. They got outshot pretty badly in the part of the game I saw, but they were able to pull it out. And they haven't given away too many games, so they continue to build their lead at the top. But other than that, UNH, everybody seems to, you know, right when you think, hey, this is the year, and then they lose the next two. And so I think the fans that follow each of the other teams are a little gun-shy about committing themselves to what they're going to do in March, because they don't know what the high side of their particular team is, and that's the way it's been. It also seems as though uh, promoting, you know, every year you can usually look at a couple of guys that are going to get the recognition that mentioned for Hobie Baker, for instance, and, and it's almost almost seems to be tougher this year to do that. But I, I'm kind of interested to, you know, talking from people, talking with people outside of, of Merrimack, I guess. Uh, obviously, we've seen a lot of Stefan DaCosta and, and how good he's been. I'm kind of curious, you know, your take uh, from the league office or even just as, as a follower of the game. I mean, how good is he? Well, he, he's been, the, he, there are three guys I've seen this year, two of them are on the ice tonight that I would really want to pay to go see. Uh, DaCosta, uh, uh, James Marcoux, and uh, uh, Nyquist up in Maine. Though I noticed his line mate got seven points last <laughs> night, but i got to believe Nyquist might have helped him out a little bit. But, uh, um, it, you know, we've had great years where we've had the goalie has been the talk. You know, as recently as decent last year, and a number of the players of the year in the last decade were goalies. This year, I think the goalies have probably been a little on the softer side. 
and the names that come to mind are the forwards, uh, some of these forwards. And DaCosta, um, you know, I hadn't seen him for a while. You're, obviously, he made the big splash with the five goals, and, and, and you heard a lot about him. And now I've seen him two or three times, and he's one of those guys, like the old days, you, you keep waiting to see 24 get on the ice. Uh, there are a lot of times in the last few years, in all candor, I've gone to games where I couldn't tell you who the best player was, you know. And that's one of the differences between men's and women's hockey. Women's hockey still has quite a, quite a significant gap between the best and worst player on the ice. And the game is played at a little bit of a slower pace so they can make great plays. You can see great plays like you used to with the men's game. A lot of our games, everything happens so fast, and they're interchangeable parts. And so tonight it's going to be a little bit of a treat knowing that there's a, an offensive talent on each team that when they get the puck something special might happen. Well, thanks, Joe. Good to see you, and uh, take care. Thank you.